Hey team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights from some amazing guests. Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways. Like if I was going to die in a year, would I be waking up in front of this computer making to make websites? If I was if I had a hundred million dollars in my bank account, you know, and money wasn't an issue for me, would I sit here and do what I'm doing? You know, so I I started kind of thinking about that. I spent a year and a half seriously contemplating the question, why do I show up to work every day? And, um, and not, maybe not a lot of people do that. You know, Steve Jobs gave a, a, a speech at a graduation where he kind of had that same kind of concept. Like, if you were going to die today, would you be doing what you're doing now? You know, I was like, holy crap, it's intense. But, um, but it really brings you to reality yeah, very real, like, right? Well, like, I sure wouldn't be doing, I sure would, you know, then, then stop doing it. You know, do, do what you would be doing, you know, and... Um, but I think that for me, I realized that I, my life purpose, I, I kind of have been thinking about this for a long time, but my life purpose is, is, is the way I always tell people is like, look, if I'm going to breathe my last breath, I want to say two things that I spent time with people I cared about and that I help people. And I've known that through and through, like that is it that will never change. You know, I believe with my heart that, the, you know, someday I'm on my last breath. I'm going to say that I'm going to say, you know, Hey, I spent time with people I cared about and I help people. And so I said, well, if that's what I want to do at my last breath, then I need to be doing that today and every day. And so there was just this goal to make my company an extension of my life purpose. And Michael Gerber, you know, famous business author, you know, uh, uh, one of the top hundred books of all time, the the E-Myth Revisited, um, you know, he says, look, don't go find a job or or create a job. Um, Go figure out what you want your life to be and find a job or create a job that supports that. You know, so he, he talks about this idea of your primary aim in life. Like, what is your primary aim in life? Forget about work for a second and figure out what your primary aim in life is. My primary aim in life, you know, aside from those kind of end goals, is, you know, I want to, uh, you know, as a man, I'm a man of faith, so I want to I glorify God. You know, and, and, and a second primary aim in life is I want to be the most encouraging person that I can possibly be. Um, and so I literally write, I have a notebook, and every single day, I write down, you know, basically my primary aim in life, and I've been doing this for years and years. You write that down every morning or every, every day. You rewrite day, that down every single day. So it's I'll, the same stuff. You know, the same kind of primary aims. I also write down my goals for the year every yeah. day, and I write down three things I'm thankful for every day, and I write down one big thing to do that will help me push a goal toward accomplishment every day. Um, and I, I've been doing that every day. I got that from Brian Tracy, who you know. All of the famous folks, you know, like you, you become what you think about most of the time. Yeah. You know, and so I want to be thinking about my highest self, my most important goals, things that I need to get done and things that I'm grateful for. If I think about those things, I'm rewiring my brain to things that make me get to where I need to be. Uh, but just to read this, like I'm a dedicated husband, I'm a loving father and I'm a faithful friend. Like I've been writing that down every day for years. You know, am, is it true? No, I'm a jerk to my wife sometimes and I feel really bad about it. You know, sometimes I don't get to hang out with my kids as much as I like and I feel really guilty. And sometimes there's a cognitive dissonance to writing some of these things down. Um, but it, what it is, is it's this constant course correction. You know, one of, one of these is I'm a visionary leader and I'm a wildly successful entrepreneur. You know, and yeah, is that true all the time? No, but it's an aspiration, right? And it's what I'm aiming for. And it just kind of helps me refocus on a daily basis to accomplish these things. Um, so, you know, kind of going back to that idea of, 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 you know, where I came up, like, how do you, how do you get to be where you know what your life purpose is? And I, I don't think that's an easy thing to accomplish. It took me years 
like thinking about this, I, there was an exercise I sat down. There's this life planning book where I kind of like spent six hours. I'm like, hey, what were all the things in my life that I felt the most proud, that I felt the most achievement, that I felt the most success? And it was like, okay, it was like 15 things that I wrote down, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and then it was like, okay, what were the contributing factors to this? So I ended up writing three to five things for each one. So I had like 75 ideas where I, that contributed to my achievement, success. And, and then I started correlating those into groups. And so I was like, okay, when I um, empower and encourage people, I feel the most success and encouragement and, you know, and achievement and fulfillment. When I take calculated risks, when I set goals and achieve them, you know? And so I started looking at that. And, um, and so that's when I kind of looked at the company and said, gosh, man, I, I really think my why is to work with great people, for great people, to do meaningful work that makes a difference on my terms. And, and, and when I came up with this statement, my why, my personal why, this bell rung, and I said, that statement is going to be true, you know, to the day I die. The, it's timeless. The, I can't. I can't make that any better. You know, work with great people, which means the people that I'm working with. I share. You know, we share the same values. We share the same purpose. We're going in the same direction. We're shoulder to shoulder. We trust and respect each other. You know, for great people, same thing as 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 the people I work with. You know, I trust them, but they also, if we're working for someone, they see us as a partner, not an order taker, not a supplier or a vendor. They they trust and respect us. You know, as 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 advocates and experts. Um, you know, meaningful work that makes a difference. You know, meaningful work could be, I could be sitting in, in, a, in a room making a cabinet and, and I could see that as very meaningful work, but is that helping anyone? So to me, it needs to be meaningful, but it also needs to make a difference, right? So, you know, what are we doing to truly like turn the needle to make a dent in the world through this company that we, to this group of people? And then on our terms is really important because I think sometimes you can concede uh, your terms to other people, you know, to accomplish your goals. But always course correcting to it being on your own terms so that you're, you actually enjoy it. Mm. Because I think that you could be pursuing all those other things at your own detriment and, and be pretty miserable. You know, you could, I always tell the team, I'm like, look, you should never say I'm broke and I have too much work to do. <laughs> you know, you could say <laughs> one of those two things. But if you're saying both of those two things, then you've made some bad decisions that you need to correct, you know. And, and so uh, I think that that on our own terms, it needs to be, you know, in, in correlation with what we're trying to accomplish, you know, that, that, we're, that we're actually getting joy out of, out of it as well. Do you find the on your own terms part has uh, more of an individual aspect to it or more of a team aspect to it? You know, I think it's individual and corporate, right? Like, so individual would be, you know, there's some folks on the team that, that, you know, that live in Spain, you know, we, we're an international company. And so they, they start their day late and they don't mind working into the evening. You know, we have one of our team members who really enjoys being able to do whatever she wants up until about 11 o'clock, you know, and, and then she works until eight or nine, you know? So for her on her terms is I get to go work out. I get to go have a coffee. I get to spend some time with my spouse. And then I start my work day. And yeah, I work a little bit later than most people do. But for me, that's on my terms. I really enjoy this way. We have other people that, you know, maybe they travel the world, you know. And so, and then, and then there's corporate on our terms, which is like, hey, look, if this client sees us as a vendor, like if that word comes out of their mouth in a flippant way, you know, then they're probably not going to be an ideal client for us. Yeah. If they expect everything immediately, you know, um, unless we have set that expectation that we're going to support them on an urgent basis, you know, then, you know, that's not our terms. And, and so that goes back to this concept of, you know, we, we were talking about before the podcast of like, 
of, of our core value of delivering faithfully, which is like setting clear expectations. Like, so I think you create things on your terms when you set clear expectations because you have decided in advance. Um, there's a really good book by Ken Blanchard called Raving Fans. I read it when I first started my company and he has this concept where he's like, figure out what you want, figure out what your customer wants and then deliver faithfully, but add plus one, plus 1%. And his whole concept was, you know, the customer isn't always right. Um, you know, you, if, if, if all you ever did was concede to the customer needs, you would probably hate your job, you know? Yeah. But so he, so he, he turns it around. He said, you can create raving fan customers, but you got to start with what you want first, reconcile that with what your customer wants, then deliver. And so that was a huge learning moment for me. Um, that book has always stuck with me and his words, just being able to, and, and his theory in that book, his whole concept was like, look, it's like so rare for someone to say they're going to do something and then actually do it. Um, and so if you can just be one of those rare people in rare companies that really make a promise and then like completely fulfill the promise, then you're already an elite company. But if you can just do a plus 1%, if you can deliver a little more value than you're paid for, then, you know, you're going to be in a, in a, in rare air, you know, that, and, and one so, of the rarest. yeah. And so that's what I've always tried to operate with glide and, and and I think it's difficult because, you, you know, just kind of speaking into the growth, like, so when it was just me, if a client's unhappy, I can just roll up my sleeves and do a bunch of extra work for them. But now, you know, if we have three layers of leadership and it's a project manager who just got the job, you know, do they have that, have they been imbued with that same core value of delivering faithfully? And so that's why, you know, this concept of values is so incredibly important. I. I wish I could remember the anecdote, but there was a CEO of a company that was, you know, in the billions of dollars. He's like, look, all I did literally from when I got the job, you know, till this company had grown astronomically, he's like, I just repeated the core values every day for, you know, for seven years and the company grew astronomically and it was, you know, a multi-billion dollar company. And the whole concept was like at that level of leadership, it's almost like that's, you know, aside from kind of you know, communicating direction, like that's the most important job of a leader really is to, is to kind of be the bearer of the mission, the vision and the values. Why do you think so many companies, even the ones that do have values on a wall somewhere seem to still kind of epically fail at that? What is the thing they're not doing well? Is it the way the values are architected you think, or is it the, is it the way that they're being communicated? What is that thing that misses? Cause I see, and you feel it, right? I mean, I'm, we've been around in, in business and around teams a long time. I've walked into places that clearly have their values. They're on the back of the ID card. But you could just tell it's a, it almost feels like a hospital. It's very sterile in there. Like, you could tell nobody's jiving on it, you know? Yeah. And if I were to, like, pick somebody out of a crowd, they probably wouldn't even know what half of them actually were. What happens there, Travis, you think? Like, what allowed you guys to be able to em embody that versus companies that don't? So... I love these questions because I, I am a student of values and, and have had a passion for it. Um, you know, I think it was yes to all those questions. So the creation of values, you actually don't create values. That's a misnomer. You uncover values. So values exist hundred percent. A good example is if you say I value time with my kids, but you work 80 hours a week, you don't value you do time, with your value kids. time with your kids, right. you know, so that's not a value for you. You said it's a value. Um, Patrick Lencioni has a great book called The Advantage where he talks about this. There's different types of values. There's table stakes values. Table stakes values are values that every company has. You can't claim it as a value because it just needs to exist. A good example would be customer service. So you can't say, hey, we have a core value of customer service unless you would like drive 100 miles to give a client, you know, a customer their coat because they <laughs> then you can claim, you know, customer service as a core value. Um, and aside from table stakes, there's also aspirational. 
So aspirational core values are values that you want to have, but you don't exhibit enough in a collective way, you know, to be considered core. They're not core. They're just a value that you want. Um, another one is accidental. Sometimes you all have values that are negative, right? So for example, maybe you hire only young people and you don't realize it and you look around your company and you're like, wow, we all look the same. We're not a very diverse group. Yet we say we have a value of, of, of diversity. We, we actually have an accidental value of, you know, something that's different, right? Yeah. You know, we, we, you know, so, um, but I think that you need to uncover your values. Most companies don't do this and I didn't do this. And I thought I was a values expert. And, um, but I came along with this uh, process called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. And there's a process and a step. Uh, Gino Wickman wrote a book called Traction, which kind of defines all this, where he says, look, sit down in a room with your leadership team and look at your company and don't look at yourselves. Look at your company and say, who's our best employee? Who's the employee where if we were, if we repeated that person, you know, 25 times, we could quite literally take over the world, you know? So someone that is just the absolute best employee. Now just start describing that person, like their traits. Are they hardworking? Are they, are they spunky? You know, are they friendly? You know what, but like maybe get a little bit deeper into like what makes them tick, you know, and their values and then do that for, you know, maybe five or six other, you know, key employees. It'd only take about 30, 45 minutes. And then maybe, yeah, you can pick a couple of folks in your leadership team. And you end up having this word cloud, right, of all of these different traits and personality quirks and all the weird, unique things that make everyone who they are. And then and then just group those into like logical groups. And so that's what we did. And so what you find at the end of this exercise is you have these groups and this like, these are who we are. They're not like, oh, let's just, let's just decide we have the value of transparency, you know, or something like that. You know, maybe people come in and they'll tell you like, hey, you know, uh, I just threw up, you know, four times in, in the toilet or something like that. Yeah, maybe you do have a, a core value of transparency and everyone is just like always sharing, yeah. you know, like to their detriment, <laughs> you know, then that's probably a core value. But so the neat thing is we we identified these clusters and, and, then, and then the fun part is naming them, right? So like... So we had a core value uh, called deliver faithfully. We have a core value. And it's like, we didn't just create that. We, we looked at our company and realized everyone in our company will like kind of like to their own detriment. And that, oh, that's the other thing that Pat Valenciano talks about with core values is like, you know something's a core value when you would do it at your own expense. You would do it even if it causes you pain. So like a good example is with our core value of delivering faithfully. If we say we're going to do it, then, you know, we have to do it. You know, it's just not an option. And if someone at our company is not embodying that value, if we do not like address that issue or if it can't be addressed, let that person go, then we are signifying to our team that that's not a core value. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing. And so like with EOS, they have this concept where you, you actually evaluate your employees and your own self and your team based on these core values each quarter. And so you look at everybody and you say, hey, look, is this person a you know a plus, a plus minus, or a minus with a score value? A plus is they exhibit this core value most of the time. A plus minus is um, you know some of the time, and a minus is they don't you know generally exhibit this core value. And if you and you set a bar at your company and you say, for for us since we have four core values, like if there's anyone at our company that is consistently not exhibiting at least two core values, we need to have an intervention. And if they can't improve, then that, then they can't be at our company because if we let them stay, then those aren't core values. Mm -hmm. And so we've had to let people go that we're not delivering faithfully, even though we gave them like multitudes of options and, and, and performance improvement plans. And we, and we tried everything we could to help them. But at some point, you know, if they do not embody that core value, then, then that's, and that's the thing, they'll be 
they'll find a place that, that fits, fits them. That's that, right. That they can align with those values. But at our company, that just didn't work. And so I think that, um, and then also, it, not only do you have to uncover them in an authentic way, but you have to actually like live them out. And so you, you asked like, you know, how come these companies aren't, you know, uh, maybe in some ways, shapes or forms not living these out. But so we have every quarter, I, I give a core value speech and we do a couple things. Um, I, uh, you know, I share this, you know, we, we have a, a award called the, the core value awards. And so we, we give an, an award for each core value. And then we ask that person, what does this core value mean to you? And it's beautiful to see people describe that value in their own words. And, and so this committee, whoever won the award, they get to choose the next, the next so that, that group of folks that won those core values gets to choose who wins the core value next. And so it just keeps, the torch keeps getting passed. And you know we give, we give monetary prizes and a pizza party to this group of people that win the yeah. core value. But then in addition to that, we, we do shout outs every day. You know, so we might have 50 or 100 shout outs every week um, in a Slack channel. And people will put the core value, you know, and then us as a leadership team, you know, we meet and we, and we give shout outs to different folks. And then we say, Hey, this person really, you know, delivered faithfully, uh, or they, they built this website, they did this task. And, you know, I really feel like they exhibited the trait of core, uh, the core value of delivering faithfully. And so it's just like, it becomes, it's the neatest thing is when it, when it becomes so imbued into your culture that it is like literally a part of how you talk. It has to be right. Otherwise, all day, every day, all day. Yep. And in, in, in every channel, major investment decisions, all the way to a very simple task. You're thinking about that framework, right, of guiding your decisions through. And that. every time you stop, like, so let's say we're, you know, we're in a leadership meeting for an annual, you know, plan, and we're trying to figure out, you know, where do we want to go, what big decisions do we want to make. Like, it never fails that we'll start getting hung up on business ideas and strategies and stuff like that. And someone in the group, you know, rightfully says, well. How does this relate to our core purpose? And how does this relate, you know, like what would we do? How do we embody our values more? So, you know, um, just making those decisions. So if, if building meaningful relationships is a core value of our company, how are we going to make sure that we're making decisions that support that? Yeah. You know, so I probably talk way too long on no, that. No, no, I, no. I think it's incredible. I have two quick things on that. Well, maybe they're not quick because I do think we this in itself could be an entire episode, right? But like the, the one thing... Um, when you mention core values, we were talking earlier about this before the pod. They should also be stuff that makes your people just good people, period, right? Not just for the business, right? I mean, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we were talking about this a little before the podcast, and it was a huge epiphany for me. I think a lot of companies, you know, if you think about it, a lot of companies, you know, they create core values. First, that, that you know, learning you need to uncover, not create. So you create the core values. And then they tend to be in a business context. You know, I almost think, and I've been researching that like sometimes you'll see, oh, here's some business core values list. And then here's like a personal core values list. And it's like that in a way that if, if you think about it enough, that would kind of blow your mind. Like there should be no distinction between these yeah. two. And, um, and I, I, I forgot where I, where I uh, came across this. Maybe it just was a conversation with a friend. Um, but, you know, values should improve your life, period. Not just while you're working at your job, you know, at the company dealing with clients. And so like, you know, that's another reason why I'm not so amped about like values that relate to customer service. In fact, I would almost argue that values shouldn't be marketed. You know, values should, you know, shouldn't be posted on your marketing website and told to your clients. I mean, it's okay 
to talk about your values with your clients and, and, and for it to, to kind of permeate through to your marketing. But values aren't for your clients, aren't for generating money. They're for you. They're for your heart. They're for, and they're an artifact of all the decisions you make on a daily and weekly basis to, and what you, you know, deem is important. And so uh, one of our core values is, is uh, uh, building meaningful relationships. You know, so like, look, we should be building meaningful relationships with our mom and our dad and our brothers and our sisters and our best friends. And so how can we even inspire people to do that at the company? So I just love that the values that we have, all of them, better every day. Like, how do I improve myself? How do I improve this process? How do I improve, you know, this client relationship? But outside of work, that value still works. I can I can decide that I want to lose a little bit of weight or, you know, I want to, you know, quit this bad habit. And so uh, deliver faithfully. You know, uh, I, I tell the team all the time that, you know, in my opinion, deliver faithfully is one of our bedrock core values that is the most externalized to our clients. But it really is just the recipe for a great relationship. So in, in your marriage, what more could you hope for but for two people to be on the same page? I mean, unmet expectations is kind of the root of a lot of problems. So it's like, what if you, you go into your relationships and you're setting clear expectations and you're making sure everyone understands those expectations and you're delivering faithfully to each other. And it's yeah. like, like I can use that value with my wife today. You know, like if I, you know, I, I made it, I blundered. We had this, you know, dinner party with a Christmas party and I forgot to tell my wife until the day it was like the Christmas party and we had to get a babysitter and, and it was really stressful. And she was like, you cannot, you know, spring this stuff on me last minute. So her unmet expectation is she needs more planning and preparation. Heads up. Yeah. And my expectation is she just needs to roll with punches, you know? And so, yeah, so there's friction, right? So, so you could look at that core value of delivering faithfully. For me, delivering faithfully to my wife would be communicating well in advance, you know, so that she has proper preparation and planning and time. And so it's just, to me, it's awesome to be able to have a, a set of values at, a, at an organization that could easily apply to any area of your life, anytime. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, yeah, it's something that you also think about what, how incredible it would be to show up to work to know that you are going into this agoji classroom of sorts, not just work, where you're like, I, I'm going to go get better. I'm going to school today, call work, and I'm going to come home and I'm going to be awesome, right, at what I do. I mean, that's a very different feeling than I'm going to work and then when I get home, I'll be a good husband, a good brother, a good dad, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Just a very different you talk about uncovering values. I want to go back to that too before I forget. Um, are you saying though, like a little chicken in the egg, are you saying to just most companies just operate the way you operate and then at some point have this kind of discovery session or uncovering session? Or are you saying there's still, is there needs to be some intentionality at the beginning too about thinking about how your company takes, or is it just, it's Travis, you're the founder, so it's kind of permeating from you. You'll get other people, then you can kind of uncover. How does that work? Yeah, that's an awesome question. You know, I, I recently had the opportunity to consult another agency. They're fairly similar to our company, uh, maybe um, about 10 employees or so. And and I helped them with this exact same exercise. So I got to like live this out for someone different than myself yeah. and see how it would work. And it was phenomenally successful, not because I ran it, but because the process itself is a good process because it's an uncovering process. And so for this organization, and it, the fun part was their values were so different than ours. It's not like we came up with the same thing. So it was a leadership team of four people when I facilitated. One of their values was get results or go. So they're an agency and you know, for them, it's incredibly important that what they do creates results. To the point where, I, one of the things I loved about that value and the name for that value was so cheeky, was 
Like they're basically saying, look, if we can't deliver results for our client, we'll fire ourselves. If someone at our company isn't producing results in their work, they can't be at this company. And, and so it just, it, it, and it came from them. It was their identity. They were the ones, these people, these four leaders were the hardcore about this. Like this is how they like look at the world, yeah. you know? And so it was just so easy to identify that, you know? And, and I think that maybe where this might not work as well would be like, if I'm starting a company tomorrow and it's just me mm-hmm. and we have, you know, we've been in business one day. Well, how do I uncover my core values, right? Yeah. Like one, it's just me sitting in a room. Uh, two, I have no like experience to draw a well of experiences to draw from in this particular entity. And so I think there, there could be, you know, a necessity to create an aspirational set of values. Like you might be going into a service industry where you know that like kind of radical, you know, commitment to service is important. And so that's aspirational. You don't really, you can't really say that's core yet because you, you don't even exist in the marketplace almost. Yeah. So, but you can aim for it. And I think a good example at Glide is we have an, I have introduced an aspirational value called enjoy the journey. Um, I find that deliver faithfully is burning people out. And um, because, because deliver faithfully can, can be so imbued as a core value that people will do it at their own detriment, which is happening, right? You know, you look at just like the world right now, people are burned out. Yeah. Um, and so we purposely have been pursuing creating something core that's not yet core called enjoy the journey. So we're encouraging people. So we had the four day work week, you know, to give people more time and flexibility, but we're also doing, you know, really trying to encourage people to take at least one week vacation a a quarter. So, you know, four, four plus weeks a year, we have, you know, 20 plus holidays already. So we're like really encouraging people to find rest and, and relaxation outside of work. But also like to me, enjoy the journey is just like on the daily basis. It doesn't have to be a vacation. It can just be like, how are you living your life? Like one of the things that we really want to do at Glide is make sure people don't center their lives around work, which is kind of crazy to say from a leader, like from a leader to say, I don't want you to center your life around this job because I don't think that's healthy. Um, that starts to get to something that's core because you're like, wow, that that's not going to make us more money. You know, we want people to just, you know, I, I have friends that will be like, look, I like to hire people that work 60 to 80 hours a week, you know, cause they're going to be my workhorses. And I'm just like, you know, that's great. But you know, I, I just don't think that like when I breathe my last breath, that's not going to be one of You're the probably, things I'm not going to be proud about that. You know? Yeah. I, I, ran, I ran a lot of horses real hard into the ground. This yeah, is really yeah, great. I'm not going to say, I wish I would have built, built more websites. Like when I'm breathing my last breath, you know, I wish I would have built more websites, you know, or something like that. You know? So if, if my life goal is to help people, then, then trying to get them to dedicate their life entirely to my company is not the way I'm going to get there. Thank you all for listening. This is the Professionally Offensive Podcast. You can catch us on all platforms. JC out.